0: Welcome to episode six of On The Couches. I am so honored that you're here with us. Today is going to be a real amazing conversation. On Sunday, we talked about the idea of how Christmas time is centered around love, joy, hope, and peace. In today's podcast, we're actually walking through the idea that what do you do when you don't experience that love, joy, peace, and hope? What do you do when your whole world has fallen apart and it feels like God has abandoned you? Today, we're talking to Pastor John, our worship Creates pastor, and Scott Murray, our pastoral care pastor. Both of these two individuals have experienced severe loss. John lost his mom, and Scott lost his wife, and they're going to share from their heart just the journey they went on and how they navigated that kind of extreme loss, that extreme pain, that hurt, and how they were able to lean into God and who God was for them and the strength and hope that he actually produced in the middle of those seasons. Now, I want to warn you, get your, get your tissues ready because it is going to be a tearjerker as they are authentic and honest about what they experienced and the journey they went on with God. Let's jump into today's conversation. So excited to have you join us on our podcast for our episode, On the Couches. And this is airing right after what we call Advent Sunday, the Sunday where we take time and kind of kick off the Christmas experience. And I love Christmas. Now, I don't Thoroughly enjoy Christmas decorations because I feel Christmas decorations are just bringing clutter into my very minimalistic uh, decorating style. Like, I don't, I don't like clutter. I don't like stuff, like, all over the place. But I love Christmas. Mm-hmm. You guys, are you guys Christmas fans? Are you? Oh,
1: yeah. Yeah, yeah. Big Christmas in, in our house. And I've never been, like, the outdoor decoration guy and now if you drive past my house in probably about two or three weeks, it's going to be filled with blow-up minions and <laughs> wow. snowmen, and it's it's just con complete 180. Dang. So yes. some years I don't even know who I am anymore. That so, National Lampoon's you know,
2: Christmas right? Life? Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. we're kind of having it. that
1: neighborhood competition, and I'm the only entrant, so yeah. that <laughs> yeah, kind of idea. So yeah, Our yeah.
2: house has been decorated now for a full month. Are you kidding so, me? Yeah, 100%. As soon as Halloween's over, Sarah's like, let's get the tree up, let's go for it. And this year, our big... To do was we got a pre-lit tree. This is like wow. big news bears over here. Yeah. And so officially I now have two trees in my house. Wow. Are, so are both decorated? No, not yet. But, not, the, but it's coming. It's coming. pre are happen. great
1: until one section goes out. Sure. So then you gotta go to the dollar store <laughs> and, and get that extra line and just, just kinda. Cover fill it, it in up perfectly. and make it pop. Yeah. 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 Ooh, That's crazy. Well, I love I love Christmas.
0: We're, we've done the Christmas lights and every year it's gotten bigger. My boys. Actually, like, we want the National Lampoons, and so we now have Christmas lights around all of our windows, on the peaks of our house. I nearly died <laughs> hanging those, but nonetheless. But Oh, they wanted them, but they didn't hang them. Well, they helped me. Uh, yeah, they, but I'm, but I'm like, okay, go, if someone's, right? someone's going to oh. die in this picture, it yeah. should be me. Wow, yeah. right? sacrificial. Like, I'm not that. going to go, okay, son, you hang from the roof and just lean over here. Sure. You have a future. I've lived sure. a good life. Right? Yeah. Like yeah. it's good. It's been good. Yeah,
1: see, my boys are on the roof. <laughs> i right. like, yeah, just do it right there. That's right. Good job, son. Proud of you over there. Get her done.
0: Okay, Christmas tradition. Any Christmas traditions that you guys hold to?
1: Uh, mine's just all about family, so that'll be kind of out the window this year, but uh, always going and visiting family and, and being a part of that, so we'll try and do something Zoom-related this year, but it's it's just a huge thing for us and our family to, to get together with the extended family.
2: Mm-hmm. I love so. it. Yeah, I mean, normally our Christmas tradition is doing productions. So like normally like, we'll decorate early and we'll, we'll have some family stuff and all that kind of jazz, but the majority of our family is in church world and church yeah. life, and so most of us don't start celebrating Christmas. like really, everything's done. and, and you know, till nine o'clock on Christmas Eve night, and you just had this amazing season of celebrating Christmas with your church family and leading people in that. And, and then we do like purposely schedule all of our Christmas stuff after Christmas Day, because Christmas Day is like just like Sarah, I, and the kids, and we're like really mellow and just hanging out. And uh, yeah, so it's weird this year not to be in that mode and that prep mode, I think it was like two or three weeks ago, I was talking with some of the guys from the band and we were realizing, like, shoot, we would be in rehearsal mode already yeah. right now for all of our Christmas Eve experiences and all kind of jazz. But it felt good to do Advent Sunday. It felt good to get oh. back into the, the swing of playing Christmas carols. I think it's important that, like, we still stay mindful that we are celebrating a really beautiful and unique season, yeah. and there's different ways that we can celebrate it. But, yeah, it does feel weird this year, for sure.
0: I, for me, like, yeah, it's obviously Christmas Eve is, like, this crazy season where, what did we do last year? Six experiences between <laughs> Uh-huh. Days or something like that like it was yeah. like two, two different locations, locations yeah. two or three different days you know three or four thousand people came through it was a crazy season mm-hmm. but then like for me I'm the opposite as soon as that's over it's like it's on like Donkey Kong. Like we usually have the staff over to our house. Yep. We do a big, huge Christmas party at our place mm. after after all those experiences. You guys probably hate it because you're like, "Oh my gosh, the last thing I want to see is Jeff and no. his family." We have to go hang out with them now. But we usually have the whole staff in, have the kind of a big family moment. Uh, we exchange gifts, and everyone gets like pajamas that night of. And, It's and then, like, you've never given me pajamas. I've not. Well, awkward. (laughs) awkward, (laughs) There's no segue there. Sorry. I get my kids' pajamas. There, there it is. It can be a little awkward if I'm giving you Sarah pajamas. It's a thing. Well, you might. It goes (laughs) weird, real fast. Yeah. But, like, it's just, I love it. And Christmas has all these, like, ah, moments, right? Mm. But this year is going to be a different year. Scott, you already alluded to it, right? You know, for us, we're not doing a Christmas live experience. Mm. We're. We're doing an online Christmas at home interactive experience, mm-hmm. right? So, for those of us that tradition was, oh, I go to the Christmas Eve service every year and you know we go see family. We get up usually every Christmas morning at five o'clock and open our gifts because we can't, I'm more excited than the kids. We have a rule you have to sleep to five. And then we get up and we open the gifts. And then we normally around nine o'clock jump in a car and drive to Ottawa and see family, right? Mm-hmm. And all of this feels like it's just not gonna happen. Mm-hmm. And so, it'd be really easy in the season to think that Christmas is going to suck, right? And that's got me thinking as we were doing Advent, got me thinking about, man, there's a lot of people out there right now that Christmas isn't what the commercialized size of Christmas is, right? It's not about family. It's not about this. It's it's actually not good. They're going to be in isolation. They're going to be alone. Or maybe they've lost a loved one over the season. It's the first time that they're at home by themselves for Christmas, right? Um, And that weighs heavy on me. Right now, And I don't know why this year more than ever am I feeling the weight that Christmas may be a little bit more blue for people than what it normally would be. Um, And so I thought I'd bring you guys on for our on the couches because both of you guys have had an experience with dealing with loss, Mm -hmm. right? And you hear words at Christmas, we talked about at Advent, you know, Christmas is about love, joy, hope, peace. And then people are looking at their lives and going, right now, I don't have any of that. I'm in pain, I'm hurting, I'm lonely, I'm scared. Mm-hmm. And so I actually thought, would you guys take a couple of moments and just individually share your story of loss? And we'll hear your story and then we'll come back and talk about the victories that come from it. But, yeah. John, why don't you share with us kind of, yeah. because your story actually happened around Christmas time. Was- yeah, I mean, yeah, uh,
2: man, it'll be six years now, I think. Um, since like a very unique christmas for us and i think one of the things that you're you're hitting on is a like as a church family we've always been really attentive to people's mental health um that's something that's a unique part of what we do and i think a lot of us inside of leadership have struggled with mental health issues before and so we're just we're cognizant of that. I mean, this is something that you say all the time and just give people permission to to experience this as, as a part of our church family as a part of experiences. but you know it's it's okay to not be okay. It's just not okay to stay that way, right? and so uh, and specifically when it comes to mental health and specifically when it comes to reaching out and getting help. and I think for me what i've what I've learned in this uh, you know time and journey is that you you hold on to those Christmas traditions to kind of give yourself a little boost and not being able to experience the traditions is is difficult. so Um, I think this year, more than ever, we have to be attentive to that, to that need. Um, For us as a family, I mean, uh, my mom passed away after a battle with cancer. She um, had cancer for two years, and so we we walked through that journey as a family. We walked through the chemo journey. We walked through um, just not really knowing when things are going to happen and getting more time.
0: Sorry, I want to interrupt. How old were you?
2: I would have been uh, tw- 19 years old when she was diagnosed. 19 when she was diagnosed yeah. and
0: then went on that journey and passed away when were
2: 21. Yeah, so and... and- I 've talked to so many people that have lost a parent uh, you know in a season like this or even outside of a season like this. It doesn't seem to get any easier the older that you get. But for sure when you're when you're young and you're in college and you're just starting out and you're not married yet, you don 't have any kids yet, you kind of like there's all these things that you want your parents to be a part of, and you start realizing like they're not going to be and that kind of sinks in and I still remember when um, she got diagnosed um, she she got back to the house and we had like a family meeting after dinner and we never really did that. So it was just like really, really strange and she kind of shared the news with us and we just realized like, whoa, this, this is big news, this is deep, it was November and she had been given three months to live. Oh, wow. And so like we treated that Christmas like this is our last Christmas together and it was, it was deep, it was heavy. We didn't, we didn't go anywhere for Christmas. My brother and I, I don't think we went to our girlfriends' houses, for, like it was just family and, and home um, and she started chemo journey and she got an extra year and then went in to have a surgery and got an extra year. And, and, um, so we kind of had an extra Christmas. We had an extra summer. We had these extra seasons that we got to really enjoy with her and her quality of life was great for, for, you know, a long time. Um, but I can distinctly remember, and this is just, it's in my mind every time I walk into my dad's house, cause my dad still lives in our, in our family house, um, I remember the day that she got the call that was like, you can move to the hospice now. And that seems like a big moment, right? When all of a sudden, you know, you're being invited to come and move into the hospice because they don't keep you for longer than three months there. So when they're allowing you to come in to this, this moment, this situation, it's like, we're pretty sure that within the next three months, your life will be over um, here on the earth. And I remember her saying, well, can I, can I wait You know, a couple of days and then move? And they were saying, no, the space is available now. You have to move today. And it was all of a sudden this big moment. My dad called me back from work um, to come uh, to the house and told me the news. And it was this really emotional moment. And um, my mom at that point in time couldn't get out of the couch or out of the bed that we had set up on the main floor for her. And I remember having to carry my mom out of our house into the car and put her in the family van and then my dad drove off with her. And for that for that season, for that month, my dad like lived at the hospice. And I just don't, I still to this day have no idea how he did that and he'll, he'll always say this. He's like, I don't know how anybody can walk through a moment like that without Jesus. Um, because he lived at the hospice for a full month and his work was incredible. They gave him a leave of absence, paid so that he could be there and be by her side but he slept in a hospital chair for a full month next to her um, my brother and i lived at the house and we went and visited her every day and uh it's just a really weird season for us as a family um i remember doing that year's annual christmas banquet for our church and just feeling like really really strange because your family's not at the christmas banquet and my brother and i would were playing music for it and then eating a dinner and then going home to an empty house and it was like just the weirdest season. Um, And it was December 21st. Um, We were hanging out at a friend's house and I just felt in my spirit, I was like, Joel, we gotta go visit mom and dad. And so we called dad and we said like, hey dude, we're gonna come by the hospice tonight. Is there anything we can bring for you? And he was like, yeah, you can bring um, this communion glass that my parents had, um, that they had actually taken communion from the day they got married, that he still had. And he was like, you can bring the communion glass, bring some stuff to take communion, and bring some guitars, we're gonna worship tonight. And so, I guess it was actually December 20th, but we, so we brought that stuff, we had communion together as a family, we worshiped, and my mom was like, was just there. Like, she's so present, so vibrant, like, just like this huge smile on her face. And she, she's fully aware of the situation. So she gets to call out all the songs that she wants you to sing. She's like, sing that song, that's my favorite song. And, and we just worshiped for two or three hours and had some pretty deep prophetic moments of worship and, and then packed everything up and said goodnight. And we're like, that was a cool moment. And not really realizing that that would be like the last moment that we saw her alive. Um, the next day, wow. went back. And as we walked into the hospice, we realized that our uncle was there from from down south from Toronto and we're like, why are you here? And he's like, you, you guys need to sit down. I've been here for the last three or four hours and your mom slipped into a coma and um, she's still technically alive, but she's not responding. And uh, she just fell asleep last night with a smile on her face right next to your dad and didn't wake up. And we're just kind of waiting for vital signs to be gone. And so we were there and I remember, um, I, don't, I don't share this part of it too often, but we were, uh, who we were there and just kind of allowing reality to sink in for us. And I remember um, being allowed to go into the room and my brother went in first, kind of had a moment next to her and then, and then left. And I, I walked in and I held her hand and for some reason I just felt like this really cliche thing, but you just kind of say it and in the moment it doesn't feel cliche, but I was like, mom, like it's okay, like you can go now. And it was seconds after I said that, that she, she passed away. And so I was still there holding her hand and it's just like this this crazy moment. It's so surreal. You don't realize that you're gonna be a part of that uh, ever. And I remember being outside in the hallway and my dad holding my brother and I and just saying like, we had a great time with her. We got more time than we thought we were gonna get with her. Uh, true, but you know the, that night you pack up all of her stuff and you go home <laughs> and you go to bed and you're like, what? Like This is crazy. I don't know how to live right now. I don't know how to get up. Uh, but we got up in the morning and we started planning a funeral. <laughs> and we had December 23rd, we had the visitation. We had people come December 24th, Christmas Eve. We had the funeral and our church was was incredible to us. Our pastor said, "Who? our pastor was there that night and prayed over us. Majority of our staff showed up that night. It was, it was really beautiful. Um, he said, we can do the funeral on Christmas Eve if you want to, I will do that for you if you guys want to like have that closure. And so we did, we had the funeral Christmas Eve. Um, I led worship at my mom's funeral. I would never suggest anybody who's a worship <laughs> leader ever do that, it's the hardest thing you've ever done. Um, and, uh, and we, yeah, we had a funeral at noon and we, we buried her and then we went home and the church flipped and did Christmas Eve that night and our lead pastor led Christmas Eve stuff. And we were just at home, like, what do you do? And so, well, I guess you go to church. And so we slipped into the back of this, this church. I mean, at the time, Christmas Eve was a big thing for that church, and there's probably about 1,500 people there. And so we kind of just snuck in the back and did Christmas Eve with our church and then went home, and in the morning we woke up, and it's just the weirdest Christmas morning of all time and, and just kind of proceeded in that, that seasonal fashion, uh, boxing day, I remember us going out for coffee and it felt like we couldn't go anywhere in the city without running into somebody that was like, oh, I'm so sorry for your loss. And yeah. so eventually we said, you know what, we're just going to get out of town for two weeks. We're going to escape to a place where nobody knows us. I think we went to, to Markham for like two weeks and just like laid low, went and saw movies, hung out, and then eventually kind of came back and integrated. And it was the weirdest thing to be a pastor in the middle of that. I was in my first year of actually like youth pastoring with this youth group and to all of a sudden now be like in a place where like you're praying for kids to get healed and you've been, you know, in that journey together with your family and seeing people pray for your mom to get healed and believing for that and then to have to turn around and say, yeah, that didn't happen for us. We didn't experience that, but I still believe it, but we didn't experience it. And yeah, just a really intense, intense time. And I think, I think, we bonded over that a little bit. As I remember, I didn't really know you all that well. We were, at, we were at Brayside, which is basically where you live majority of the year. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but we were at Brayside and, and um, we were just hanging out in that cottage and we just chatting and you mentioned something about your story. I didn't really know your story at all, but all of a sudden I realized like, oh shoot, we actually have a very similar, kind of just pinnacle. It's not, not
1: yeah. no, exactly no, the, the same, the, the, but. Yeah, there's, there's certainly some parallels to, to our story. Um, we're in year eight and it's, it's kind of interesting how we start like marking years based on those tragic moments and we go, oh, this is, you know, and so like nothing else in life is defined by that other than, yeah, we had this experience and here's we, where we are in, in terms of years from that kind of epic center, right? right. Um, so 2013 was, uh, yeah, the, the worst year of my life, but didn't start out that way. It started out with uh, missions trips and becoming foster parents and spending family vacation uh, in God's Backyard. We were at uh, Manitoulin for mm. a week, right? And oh, so the Lord's country. Um, you've got God's Backyard in Manitoulin. You've got, you know, those other places like Elam right. and, and oh, you know. Oh, right. and so, we don't
2: talk about that. But then,
1: And then you have Lake Brayside, so, you know. <laughs> Lake Brayside, Which is the wow. pool that's always there. Rough. And so we, we were so excited about the future. Right. And And so we're kind of coming into the fall with such anticipation of what God was gonna do. We came back from this missions trip and we're so excited about what God was doing in our youth group and in our family. And then the wheels fell off. And in October, we uh, were doing some testing, not even really looking for anything, but Joey was actually four years old and had an audiology appointment. And we just assumed no four-year-old listens to their parents anyway, so not a big deal. He's just not listening, right? And so in the midst of that, our family doctor said, "Um, we're going to do some blood work. I'm like, okay, that's weird. Doesn't Mm -hmm. really seem like it correlates. And he said, well, he's got these bruising. I'm like, yeah, but he's just started, you know, junior kindergarten. He's Mm -hmm. a boy. Have you met my other two? He's he's tired all the time. I'm like, again, just started junior kindergarten. He's four years old. Like nothing that was a flag to the doctor would have been a flag to us. Mm -hmm. And so did the blood work. Didn't think anything of it. Got a phone call that night around eleven thirty. You need to get Joey to the hospital right now. And I was like, No, he's four. I'm not pulling him out of bed and going to the hospital. Like, we'll do it in the morning. And they're like, No, they're really insistent. Um, I said, Well, what's what's going on? Like, they said, Well, if you don't do this, we're going to send an ambulance and pick him up, and you can either come in in the ambulance or you can drive him there now. So. I, I conceded and said, sure, sure let's do this. Yeah. And so Dred and I grabbed uh, Joey and, and off we went to the hospital. And 12 hours later, after a parade of nurses and doctors came through the ER uh, waiting room or uh, isolation room, uh, they said, your son has leukemia. And that's devastating as a parent. And it's also terrifying when you've seen other friends and other pastor friends that have lost kids to cancer. And immediately as much as faith can be there it's are we next is this kind of the journey that we get to be on and so you begin to process that and begin to walk through that and so over the course of the next week he um, was admitted obviously and had a couple of different surgeries one to put uh, a port into his chest so all the chemo could be delivered safely and um, we just kind of actually started seeing God's hand move in his life, going, wow, these are like things that don't normally line up well. And, you know, instead of having to t- have two surgeries, he had one. And, um, but then a week later, things got really weird and dreaded end up having a stress seizure. Um, the only way to diagnose a stress seizure is to undiagnose every other possible thing. Um, and so she ends up in a, a coma for two weeks, and the whole time, the doctoral team and like everyone's like, it, it'll be okay. This is standard procedure. And so, wait, Scott, so like you're dealing with your son
0: fresh yeah. into a week, a couple of surgeries, fresh into a week of of navigating leukemia. Yeah. And then your wife has a seizure. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Literally a week, um, Wednesday to Wednesday. And, and so, what's. What I didn't know at that point, and nobody knew, is that when Doretta walked out of the room with Joey, she'd never see him again. And over the course of those three weeks, things had been progressing really well, and then all of a sudden, a a sharp downturn that nobody saw coming, and her airway collapsed. And through the damage caused by that, there was no brain activity left. And so I had been able to visit her in, so they we were in two different hospitals in London. So I'm back and forth between the two. I've got a four-year-old uh, cancer patient and my wife in university hospital, in ICU, and still two other boys. And so we're trying to juggle all of this. And we had some great friends that were around to support us and family that came out of the woodwork to just say, whatever you need, we're, we're there for you. And, and then that first week of November, uh, she passed away. And now I'm left with three boys, one with cancer. And none of them really old enough to know anything. They were 11, 7, and 4. And the, the heartbreak that really hit was when Joey, who hadn't been able to be out in public in a month, has to go into a children's place to buy clothing because of the, um, the steroids that he was on. He had bloomed up so big that nothing fit. And so I'm in the the change room with him. He's four years old, hurting, exploded from the the steroids, and he says, I can't wait to show mummy. And not really understanding what that would actually mean. And so I remember my brother was in the just outside the door, and so Joey and I just I lost it, I collapsed into kind of the corner and just sobbed in the middle of children's place going, this, this is reality. This is where it really hits home that my four year old who saw mommy leave three weeks ago saying, I'll be right back, just need to go downstairs. That was never a reality. And we're early in November. Um, Doretta's birthday is the end of November. And so we had those moments coming up almost instantly. And then we start looking into Christmas and I'm going, how am I navigating Christmas with an immune compromised kid who can't go see family, can't be out in public, can't be in school. Uh, we had to have our own socially distant Christmas in, in the church that I was working at in their fellowship hall so that my family could come but they could see Joey from a distance. And so we've, we've kind of walked that path before. But as you go through loss and, and maybe you can relate to this, like you you know those big pillar moments that are coming. And you can brace for them. You can gear up for them. And so we knew Christmas was coming. And mm-hmm. the kind of guy that leans into things, I'd rather try and control the chaos than let it control me. Mm-hmm. Doesn't always work, but that's my mindset. It's like if I'm gonna do this, I'm just gonna hit it hard. And and let let it come and, and feel those waves and mm-hmm. Like nightly, I would put the boys to bed, and I'd just go downstairs and and lay on the floor in the basement and just cry out to God, going, "Why? What's what's going on? Why would this be allowed when you're expecting a potential loss in your son, and all of a sudden your wife's gone, Mm -hmm. and and you're still dealing with the unknown? Like they had given Joey a great prognosis, and you know, thankfully, we're." I've got a crazy 11-year-old boy now who's super healthy. And, yeah, yeah. and, and the other two boys have, have walked through all of those things. But mm-hmm. you, you brace for Christmas. Yeah. What I didn't brace for was Christmas Eve.
0: Right.
1: And, and didn't even factor in how bad that was going to hit me. And I remember laying on my bed Christmas Eve and just breaking middle of the day and the boys kind of came in and they're like dad you okay i'm like nope (laughs) and and being vulnerable and and open Mm -hmm. in front of them and they just kind of came and we all just had a really good cry session together yeah and something riley said to me though he says but dad it can still be a good day And it's something that we had kind of walked through. And that was kind of the preparation of we're going to walk through Christmas. It's going to be tough. It's going to be like, we're going to be upset and sad, but Mm -hmm. he says, it's going to be okay. And the truth of that had resonated so well in him. Mm-hmm. And so we walked through Christmas that year and there were so many people that had just ridiculously blessed the boys with like we had never seen so many gifts under the tree. It was just ridiculous and uh people would give us money towards things and then mm-hmm. um in the span of one of the darker days of just like, God, are you even there anymore? Mm-hmm. There was three separate either phone calls or visits. Um that were just reaffirming one after another. And, and the simplest of them was just a random stranger. I have no idea who this person was, no idea how they knew where we lived. We were in the parsonage beside the church, knocked on the door and handed me a card. Wow. And the card said, Psalm 34, 18. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted. Wow. And so when you're crying out going, God, are you even there in the middle of all this? -hmm. And he goes, Yeah, I'm right beside you.
2: Yeah.
1: And so that's how we navigated our first Christmas. Those days are
2: super tough. I remember the first Christmas was like the day after we had finished burying my mom. And that month leading up, like she knew that if she was going to be there for Christmas or not there for Christmas, that she still wanted to do something special. And so she had done some online shopping, whatever. And she actually had me bring these gifts that she'd ordered for. My dad, my brother, and I into the hospice, and we wrapped them together, and like so wrapped all these Christmas gifts, and and then kind of like, but mom, like you'll be there, right? And then she's not, and I remember being in my dad's living room, and all of a sudden realizing that the last gifts that we were gonna be coming to would be the gifts that came from, you know, from mom, and uh, I was like, I can't handle this anymore. I gotta, I gotta, I gotta go. And uh, I remember just going over to the, like, the breakfast nook area and just having like a little just cry and then coming back in the living room and realizing that my dad and my brother were just like a mess too. <laughs> like it's rough. And that day was was brutal. Like, that was a really, really rough day. And you kind of feel like the next year is going to get better, right? And for, for, for me, what I do is like Christmas is like, you're the worship guy, so like you tee up the Christmas season for the entire church. I remember that first year, um, like about I don't know, nine months after she passed away, I ended up moving to Toronto, and I was leading worship in this church, and all of a sudden you're coming to Christmas season, and I remember Christmas Eve, like we're doing the stuff, and uh, you're you're singing the songs, and you're there for the celebrations, and I remember being in my my office. It's like 10 minutes to the surface, and I remember just being in my office and just being a mess, and my, my lead pastor coming down, Who was incredible at just being like, dude, are you okay? And, like, I think we pushed the start time of the service back a few minutes because I was just like, I don't want to be here. I don't want to do this. I remember I already had my car packed. We finished the service. I was the first person out of the building, drove up north to Sudbury to go visit my family, and got Christmas Eve, got in at, like, 11 o'clock at night, and none none of the things that you usually celebrate. Like, nobody feels like celebrating Christmas, right? And, um... It it, it it took a few years for it to feel like
0: it yeah. was actually like so starting ask, to get better. Ask a question because both you guys were pastors, right? So so it's not like, well, if you had enough faith or <laughs> yeah. if you, you know, you, if you were a man of God, right? Like you're both serving the Lord, reaching the next generation, making impacts for Jesus. Yeah. Walk me through then for those that are listening, how do you reconcile that? How do you reconcile, like, God, you owe me, right? I preached healing. I preached power of the Holy Spirit. I preach all of these things. Mm -hmm. And now I'm sitting here and I've got these feelings and I've got this hurt and this death and this abandonment. How did you, you know, so how do you navigate Christmas as a season of Mm -hmm. love, joy, peace, and hope? And it feels like that rug's been, ripped up from underneath you. So walk me on your journey back to Christ. Like, so the people who are listening are like, okay, yeah, we're all bawling and crying with you. I've cried like yeah, four times on sure. camera. It's great. But, um, but now let's, let, let's get to that moment of like, okay, like you're still serving Jesus. Right, yeah. Right, you both are here. I mean, there was, a, there was a, a season for me where that wasn't
2: necessarily the case. I think um, right after my mom passed away, I went through about a month where I was just, I like just really angry with God and uh, genuinely hurting and out of control when it came to any kind of discipline or, or anything. And the and the church that I worked at at the time was really, really good about that and just kind of gave me the time to be away. And said so, like, you come back whenever you feel like you want to come back. Like you just do what you need to do. Yeah. And um, I think that's an important part of navigating a season like that. At least what I've found is that like, and people will say this, like, just be honest in you're grieving and it sounds very hallmark, but then when you're grieving, it's like, no, there's moments where you just have to be pissed. Yep. And you have to tell, like, I remember hearing, hearing the voice of God audibly being like, will you worship me in this season? And being like, heck no. I'm, I'm upset with you right <laughs> now. I'm going to give my entire life to you. I'm going to serve you. I'm going to walk in obedience to what you've called me to do. I'm, so I'm sitting here leading your church and you're going to do this to me? Are you kidding me right now? No, I'm not worship you. Are you out of your, you know, and, and <laughs> some, some not nice words, right? Like, and just, but like being able to, to be honest with God and being able to be honest with the people around you, being able to, to spend some time crying, be able to get that out to a point where then you can come back to God and say, okay, yeah, I will, I will walk forward in faith and obedience and, and learn that. I think my dad's had a unique revelation of that. I mean, to, to be there, to be like the incredible example of a husband and a father that you can be in a season like that. And then um I remember him mentioning to me, I think we were at a Jay's game uh, you know, the next year or whatever, and he's like, Yeah, I felt like the Lord told asked me um if if he was to to tell me to go pray for somebody to get healed from cancer, would I be okay with that? And uh and he said, I think I think I told God off. I think I I think I said no, right? And I was like, Yeah, that's fair. But he and, he and the Lord have gone on this journey now where my dad, anytime somebody gets diagnosed with cancer, he just immediately goes and prays for them in faith, believing for healing. Having been the husband that literally prayed over his wife every single day for two years and, and, and they would have friends come over that were faith-filled and believed for healing and they would anoint my mom and they would pray over her and they'd speak healing over her. Um, you know. But I just, I, I've i experienced personally a grace from God to to experience like authenticity inside of those moments, and to be able to to genuinely say like, for me as a younger person walking through that, I don't know how much I actually prayed for Mom to get healed. I think there was a lot of me that was, yeah, I believe that could happen. I think that that's important. I'll pray for somebody that I don't know as much to get healed, but when it comes to to my mom, like I don't I don't want to feel let down by God. I don't want to have to navigate the reality of. God, I prayed every single day and he didn't heal. It was actually easier for me to be like, I didn't really pray for that, mm. right? You know, like, and, and it, you, like, that's a hard conversation to have with anybody, to have with the Lord and be like, God, I legitimately prayed for random strangers more than I prayed for my own mom to be healed because it was easier for me to be like, well, they didn't get healed. Well, it's okay. We live by faith and not by sight. We don't have to understand God's ways are higher than our ways. All these spiritual platitudes that you, you lean on when it's not, like really up front and in your face, but all of a sudden, when I, now it's something that you have to really wrestle with and grapple with. You're like, ah, where did, that, where did that go? And that's something that I've had to journey through is like, why did that happen? Why did I watch my mom get prayed for and not, and not get healed? And how can I still go to people and, and in faith believe that they're going to be healed in body? and 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 in mind, and be able to reconcile and wrestle that with them, and be able to genuinely lean on this idea of living by faith and not by sight, and this idea of not necessarily always having to understand, but just trusting, right? And, yeah, and leaning that's, in.
1: That's the key. Yeah. Right. Is is not understanding, mm-hmm. but trusting anyway. Right. And and for for me, that was that was a wrestling through most of it. Uh, Facebook memories being what they are, uh, one popped up not too long ago, and it was the the night that we did the second memorial celebration for Doretta. Mm -hmm. So we'd done one right at the beginning in Brantford at our home church and then one at the end of November. And it was about just for the community. And I remember that just kind of looking through and people had tagged, I preached that night. And and the message was only if or even if, Mm -hmm. will you serve God only if he answers every one of your prayers? Mm -hmm. Or will you serve God even if he doesn't? Wow. And, and being able to walk through that journey of going god doesn 't owe me anything and and really understanding we 're in the christmas season when when God gave us Jesus, he gave us everything we will ever need and doesn 't mm-hmm. owe us anything else mm-hmm. um, and then asks us to serve him in return mm-hmm. and, and when we can do that and to, to walk through that um, Having those pit moments, um, something my counselor told me, and, and I, I continue to tell people now is find your butt, and it's like what you call again, yeah. <laughs> and, and the idea is you're going to walk through these seasons, right? Mm-hmm. And and a lot of a lot of people are going to walk through that season this year, mm-hmm. um, where there's loss, where there's frustration, where there's hurt, where there's pain, but God. Mm-hmm is yeah. still on the throne, yeah. but God still loves you, but God yes. still has a plan and a purpose yeah. for your life, but God still sent his son Jesus yeah. to yes. be born in a manger and then die on a cross. Yeah. Come on.
2: And lean on those. Right? And, and, and
1: understand well. that there's, there's truth there mm-hmm. and, and there's impact of the truth that far surpasses any of the pain I walked mm-hmm. through.
2: Well, and sometimes I think you actually have to just say it until you believe it, right? Like I remember doing the same thing, going back to my student family, 120 students that had all seen me walk through that whole experience and journey. 21 year old youth pastor has no stinking clue what he's doing. Still kind of angry with God, still figuring out how I feel about all of these things, whether it's theologically or personally or spiritually or emotionally, and just needing to stand up in front of my my youth family and say, this is what we believe we believe that God is a healing God. It's not just something that He does, it's something that He is. And, yeah. that, and that as a result stems out of His very nature and so we can be invited into an experience with that by Holy mm. Spirit. Yeah. And like, I don't think I believed what I said when I said it the first time, but then you say it a second time, Ooh, say it a third good. time, that's say it good. a fourth time, you begin to actually like speak to your spirit like, that's the truth. Yeah. You do believe in that, right? And, and at some point in time all of a sudden, you can rally to a place where you're like, yeah, I wholeheartedly believe that to be true. And, and you have this unique opportunity now to speak into the lives of people that are in that place. Like I can empathize with people that have experienced loss, yeah. especially around the Christmas season, better than I ever could have dreamed of being able to because I've walked through this. And so I've had beautiful moments of being able, even in Advent Sunday moments, being able to share like yeah. a piece or a slice of the journey and then yeah. having somebody come up and say, we just lost so-and-so. We actually had somebody message me a couple weeks ago um, that I had watched one of our on-the-couches, and I had shared you know, a few weeks ago, kind of a little bit, like a little slice of the story, and we were talking, I think about praying in the Spirit, and when, when life is there, just like speaking out in tongues, and actually having the groaning of the Spirit, the intercession of the Spirit in Romans chapter 8, and they messaged me, and they said, and my, da- my dad died two weeks ago, and I- that was my experience, I was driving home from the hospital, and I was just like, Ugh. I didn't have words to express it, and I didn't understand what was happening, and then I watched the on-the-couches, and it was like, that's what's happening. I'm groaning yeah. out in the spirit. So you have those unique moments that are blessings. I think also you have the relationships that can, can pull you from there. I love you guys talking about like the family that you guys have clung to so well. I mean, for me, like, this is hilarious because we talk about how we have a pre-lit tree now, whatever. I'm a little sentimental when it comes to things, but like the tree that we're replacing was like the first Christmas tree I ever bought. Um, so I think that's why we still have it in the basement, even though it's it's skimpy, um, but I didn't have a lot of money, so I bought this Christmas tree, but um, the first two years that I moved out and lived on my own, I didn't celebrate Christmas, really. Like, the only reason why I celebrate Christmas was because you're in church, and maybe you go and visit family, but we weren't really, we weren't really doing that. You got the precursor gift for your brother, and congratulations, and, and I didn't own a tree, I didn't own anything, and then um, I met my now wife, Sarah, who I think God just has a sense of humor, because Sarah loves Christmas, like to the nth degree. That is by far That's her awesome. favorite time of the year. And I remember the very first Christmas that we were dating, um, her, like, it was was probably early November, her, you know, we're we're going back and forth on the phone. She's like, so why are you setting up your apartment for Christmas? And I was like, I don't set up my apartment for Christmas. I don't own any Christmas decorations uh, on purpose. I don't like this season. Um, and, And her being like, that's just not a thing. <laughs> like if you like if you like if you want to be Sarah. right like yeah hundred yeah, percent if you know my wife right and she's like if you like if you want to be with me like we're gonna learn how to celebrate Christmas and she understood and she was sensitive right. to that but I remember her being like we're gonna go out and we're gonna buy a tree and so like I went out to Canadian Tire I spent money that I did not have to spend on a tree on a Christmas tree she brought over some Christmas decorations. Um, And I remember setting up that tree in our little rinky-dink apartment in northern Richmond Hill. Wow. And I remember like weeping for like three or four hours after that because it was the first time I had set up a Christmas tree since my mom passed away. And that was a huge step. That was a huge moment. It sucked. Like it was really, really painful, but but she was there with that,
0: right? One of the things I think I've heard from you guys is you you at some point in this journey had to decide, I'm going to believe God to be God even though it didn't feel like it, mm-hmm. and, and even sometimes I had to speak it so that I would start to believe it myself again. Mm-hmm. But I had to believe. Quickly, if someone's watching today or listening to this podcast today and they're, they were experiencing some kind of loss, whether it be physical, emotional, spiritual, financial, whatever, they feel like the rug's been pulled out underneath them, give me you know one or two sentences that you want
1: them to hear. So for, for me, it's the tension point of knowledge versus belief right like what you were saying like you you know it but then to actually believe it getting from your head to your heart and and knowing that um corinthians says my grace is sufficient for you and and that is so incredibly true and and the second of that being um when i am weak i am strong and allowing god's strength to be perfected Mm -hmm. in our weakness and Mm -hmm. so for me Football guy, alpha male, was not really the weak guy. I had to embrace my weakness and allow God to be strong, allow other people to hold me when I couldn't be the strength I needed for myself. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so walk through that and understand that God is there. Mm-hmm. In the midst of all the chaos, in the midst of all the pain, He's there.
2: Right. Complete, complete opposite from you. I keep trying to make Scott proud of me for knowing football terms. It's true. I'm not the alpha male, I'm not the aggressor. Uh, So maybe a different perspective, different side of things for me, but I agree with what you're saying, it's beautiful. Um, I think it's just being learning to be honest with yourself and with your emotions. I think as, as people who are believers in Jesus, because of the testimonies and the stories that we hear, we believe that we need to find some way of framing what we're walking through, through the lens of, but God, which is true, we do need to be able to come to that point. But when you're in the middle of grieving, Like sometimes we actually don't we aren't honest with ourselves in that moment enough to be able to actually have a healthier end of the journey and end of the story. Right. And as a result, we try to like frame it and we try to make it sound like this phenomenal testimony of God's goodness. And there's actually seasons and moments where you You just have to be really honest. It just sucked. Yeah, it just sucked. I gotta go, I gotta go down to the basement. I just gotta like curl up in a ball and cry. I, I just gotta yell at God for half a second. I just I need to be honest with the way that I'm feeling and the emotions, and I, I just have experienced such an incredible grace from God for that. Yeah. You, know, you can yell at God, he can handle it. He's a, big, he's a big God, like he's not gonna get offended that you yelled at him, like oh my goodness. Like You can, you can express to him that you're angry, you can use some not so polite words to, to have that wrestle yeah. with him, and on the other side of that wrestle there's a grace for him to be able to create them the but God moment and right. to create the testimony, and create yeah. that framing of it. But I encourage people every single time I talk to them about this kind of stuff, I'm like, just experience that emotion for a little while. And our friends did this so well. The people that we were close to and in community with, they said, you got six months. I was like, well, so "What's it? you? Six months for what?" And they're like, "You got six months to be a mess. You can come in. Seriously, you can come into our apartment and just cuss us up and down, and you can be all over the place. You can flake on breakfast, and you can you can just be a total, absolute no-show for six months if you want to. But at the end of six months, we're we're dragging you out of that. We're pulling That's you crap. out, right? We're like we're calling you to better, and yeah. you know." Uh, I don't think I took advantage of the full six months, but I for sure took advantage of a couple of them where it was like, yeah, I just don't feel like going anywhere tonight. Okay, cool. We're not going to treat like you ditched us. We're, we get that. Or, you know, just just being a no-show, being AWOL, being flat out rude to people while you're in the middle of grieving and they're like, we get it. We're going to cover you. We got you. We're going to give you the space to be honest in the way that you're grieving. But then eventually we're going we're to oh, call man. you to higher and we're going to call you to more. And that, that also helps you be able to frame that story and be able to continue and progress on that journey.
0: So listen, if you're listening today or watching whatever way, I I want you to be encouraged. I don't know what your story is and our point of our sharing the story wasn't so that we just have a sad moment in the middle of December. It was actually to inspire that the words of why Jesus came, love, joy, peace, and hope, that in the midst of darkness, those really are true words. I wanna highlight something that John had said at the very beginning, and I think it's important to hear. We believe it's okay to get help. At our church, if you are struggling with mental health, if you're struggling with depression, you're struggling with grief, I want you to know that you don't have to struggle alone. I wanna encourage you that getting a counselor is a phenomenal thing to do. It's not anti-scriptural, it's not anti-biblical, it's not anti-trusting in God. I think it's actually one of the healthiest things you can do. Scott mentioned he's a counselor. I've shared multiple times, I go to a counseling. It is so vital to how we walk out health and walk out trust in God. And so if you need help, please let us know. You can always email us here at the church uh, and, and we'll get you connected as best as we possibly can. We say it's okay to not be okay, it's just not okay to stay that way, right? You got six months. No, but but we want you to hear. And we want you to hear in Christmas, Christ came so that we can have hope, love, joy, and peace. And he wants that in your life. Listen, if either of these stories really impacted you and you wanna just reach out for help or reach out for conversation, they'd love to hear from you. Uh, You can reach them at their name uh, at wearemovement.ca. So Scott at wearemovement or John at wearemovement and they'd love to connect with you. We hope that this story, these stories have inspired you to put your trust in God, to put your grief into God's hands and to realize that man, if he can help them overcome their struggles, he can help you overcome yours because he's the same God yesterday, today and forever.